seconds flat. Give me up. Look at the hills, look at the This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mile 100. Of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It is so good to have you back with us. We are in triple digits and it's like the old days, baby. I got Benji here with me live from World Headquarters after we ran this morning. Like the good old days, buddy. How's it going? It's going great. I can't believe how big the studio is now. (laughs) (laughs) It's all grown up. Yeah, it's professional. Uh, You've made it. No, but (laughs) we are... um, Really fortunate to have had a great idea. Um, it turned out to be a great idea. I don't know. It could have been a terrible one. Who knew? Uh, you and I, three plus years ago now. Is that right? I believe so. 2018. Got this started. Uh, just our passion to share our love for the sport and talk to people who know more about it than either of us do. And it's turned into something really fun and something that's had a life of its own, and so we're excited to carry on into triple digits now with mile 100, although we've already done triple digits worth of episodes because we did like Uh, 3.1, 6.2, we did the K stuff, we did 26.2, so we are at mile 100. This is our lessons from 100 miles of seconds flat. Our goal here from the beginning always has been to inspire, inform, and entertain. And given that framework, I thought it would be both a lot of fun and valuable to provide some immediately actionable ideas that we've learned through our time here with our interviews we've had, our experience as athletes and coaches over this time as well, how we've evolved and the new stuff we've learned, and take all these interviews and episodes and pull a few things so you can improve your running right now. So we're going to do our three biggest overarching lessons, and then we're going to get into three more uh, very specific, tangible, favorite workout ideas that are versatile and you can use for training at various distances. Before we do, I love the timing of this episode. Happy Thanksgiving, Benjamin. Happy Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Very thankful for so much once again this year. Part of that is doing this show with you. Health, as always, after I've had an injury and a sickness in the past month, it's good to be back at somewhere approaching 100%. I see what you did there. Thank you. Yes. Your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, Benny? Oh, my mother makes an immaculate green bean casserole. Oh, okay. It's my favorite She's a great woman. She is fabulous. I assume that's on the menu for this week? So it is. So we're going untraditional this year. Okay. No turkey, no ham. Okay. Dad is making ribs. Oh. But mom is still making the green beans. Okay, that's good. The sides are still there. I think the sides are what make the meal. What about your favorite dessert? Ooh. I do like pie. Yeah. Are you a pumpkin pie guy? 
I don't dislike pumpkin pie. I would prefer apple pie with some See, vanilla ice cream. I'm right there with you. I'm kind of I, I'm maybe a bit agnostic towards pumpkin pie. I, I just don't really like it that much. I can get down with a apple pie, though. Especially a crumble, like Dutch apple Ooh. topping to that. Warm that sucker up. A little ice cream. Oh, mommy, mommy. I Side item. You know what? I'm going to go... This is this is controversial. This is a polarizing side item. This is like the Hillary Clinton of side dishes. Oh no. You either love it or hate it. Is it cranberry sauce? Yes, because no, I knew it. Yeah, and here's the thing. I I would never eat it alone. I would never eat it any other time of year, but with uh, it brings everything together. You know, I'm it's not the one I'm going to pick that like I have to have, but when I get it with my potatoes, our sweet potatoes, my macaroni. Um, my mom loves to do the uh, the Syrian food where her family's from. That we'll cook that with the traditional Thanksgiving food, and just kind of swirl it all in with some cranberries. I wish people could see me right now. There's there's a gyration and a emotion happening. Kind I'm of very uncomfortable. Yeah, I am too. But I keep doing it. There's really no reason to stop. Well, then. On that note, Please. is cranberry sauce a side or is it a condiment? Because you're mixing it in with things, you're putting it on top. Yeah, but a condiment. Like we've had this debate before. Salsa is a condiment. We've had the the what is a what's a sauce versus a, a condiment debate. We had uh, a Dijon mustard. I think started this for us once. Right. We we had a long debate about this back in the old studio, the days of yore. Because it's traditionally served with whole cranberries in it, it's not really a condiment. I think that that when it's just the liquid, if it's just the sauce to it, maybe then it's a condiment. Let's go ahead <laughs> and dig ourselves out of this hole and start with our top three lessons here. We're each going to give three. Benny, I'm going to let you go first, so take the lead. The number one thing that you have learned over the hundred miles of this show that we need to, with all these, we kind of want to reconstitute them, distill them down and make them actionable for all the listeners right now. Go ahead, bud. Absolutely. One of the fun parts of having done this show for so long is we've got to talk with a lot of fascinating people with different backgrounds and experiences. And one of the main takeaways from a lot of these interviews for me is that you need to not pigeonhole yourself as an athlete. I think distance runners especially like to say, oh, I'm a 5K runner or I'm a marathoner. We put the sticker on the back of our car hmm. and that's just our identity. And I actually have four examples from throughout the show that have really kind of taught me this lesson. Great. Uh, so the first person I want to talk about is from episode 46 and it's Grayson Murphy mm. or Racin Grayson on yeah. Instagram. What a sweetheart. She, yes. Fabulous. Uh for those who may have not listened to that episode, uh, Grayson ran at Utah, and after completing school, she ran briefly for the Hoka NAZ Elite, and then signed a deal with Saucony. Uh, since running with Saucony, this past, what, three years, she has become the U.S. mountain running champion and then world champion. Uh, this year, she qualified for the marathon Olympic trials, as well as the track trials in both the 5K and the 3K steeple. Mm. Uh, also, in mile three, we interviewed Ricky Flynn. 
Uh, Ricky Flynn experienced a lot of success as a marathoner and half marathoner initially, but was plagued by injuries. This forced him to get in the pool and on the bike and cross train. And it turned out to be the best thing for him. He learned he was good at those activities and uh, he's gotten his pro card now in triathlon and he's competing at that. And for the first time in a while, we're seeing him healthy and running road races again he just won a half marathon this past weekend Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's because he was able to take that step outside of what he thought he was and pursue something else and it made him more well-rounded and happier yeah the third person i want to bring to the table is from mile 36 which is our own james quaddlebaum Mm -hmm. james throughout his high school and college career was known as a miler and he certainly is a fabulous miler, having gone under four minutes. Mm-hmm. But this past year, we've seen him run a very fast half marathon and qualify for the marathon trials. We saw him run the steeplechase on the track trials. Yeah. And it's because he's open to these opportunities, and he's not saying, I'm just a miler. You see so many milers say, I'm a 1,500-mile guy, and that's all they run all year. He's just training himself to be an all-around athlete and embracing opportunities. Uh, Be a Swiss army knife. Yes. In each of these cases, diversifying has helped make that athlete also better at their core event too. So if you're hypothetically a marathoner, taking some time, doing a training black at another distance can help make you a better marathoner in addition to the joy you can find in those other races. Yeah, for me, this year's a great example. Just over the course of this summer, at the beginning of the summer, I stepped into the ultra world in running 38 miles for my 38th birthday. And then at the end of the summer, start of the fall, I swung back to a 5K, an event I hadn't done in a few years, Oh, thanks for uh, taking my fourth person from my list. Oh, by the way. wait, was I going to be number yes, four? It says I, I, Travis, thirty-eight mile, five <laughs> k on my list. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was counting, and I thought you had already said four of them. You had already only done three. Yeah. That's good. I'll work on math skills for the next hundred episodes of the podcast. I think when looking at yourself as a runner, and all four of these people are a good example of this. Just because a plumber has a similar toolkit. To a roof construction guy, I don't know, a roofer. Yeah, you, you call could them? just call that person yeah. a roofer. Yep. It means when he's needed to hammer in a shingle, Yep. he has the hammer to do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily change the fact he's a plumber, yeah. but you want to give yourself all the tools you can to be where you need to be and do what you need to do. It's a way to respect and appreciate and enjoy the sport even more to make yourself a better runner. Step outside of what you think you are as a runner step back, consider some other events, some other things you haven't worked on. Often we don't work on those weaknesses because we don't enjoy them as much. And so maybe we need to do some things that challenge us. But also, what's the thing you haven't done that you've really wanted to? Maybe it's it's some kooky off distance. It doesn't matter. Take the time to do it. It'll make you the Swiss Army knife runner. I think that's a great way to start it. You may find a new event that you're good yeah. at. Or you could be like James Brooks and realize you're not a 12K trail runner. <laughs> because that, my friends, is a record that belongs to another man. Still, after all these years. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's still yours. Okay, I'll go to my first one and I'll kind of keep with a Thanksgiving theme. My first big one is don't overcook 
your training. You are better slightly undertrained than slightly overtrained. I will draw here on our two interviews with our friend Frank Lara. I think he's a great example who just moved into the top 10 fastest half marathoners in American history. And he broke 61 minutes recently in Valencia. Frank's the first to say he doesn't do anything crazy unique in his training. They just do wise sessions at the right time. And they, they build those. That consistency over time is what has helped make him special. He was already very good. He had great talent coming out of Furman. He had a successful college career. But they trained well there. He trains well now with Roots and his pro team. He loves the sport. He's consistent. He's diligent. That's what's made the career special. Not trying to do more than everybody else. Trying to do what's right for him time and again. Uh, you're listening to this show because you like to run. You probably want to improve. As distance runners, we are highly motivated, and often we have to pull ourselves back more than push ourselves. And it is so easy in the 2021 internet landscape to see the abundant workout ideas of every professional who's on YouTube. Many people who are on there who are not necessarily professional in any way, but just share what they do, or on Strava. And you can see all that and think, oh, I need to do more of that. I need to push more. I'm not doing enough. Some of those things might work, but some might not. And it gets hard to discern. And that's what I want to apply for, for everyone today is just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it's what needs to work for you. We, we see all that stuff. We want to take all these designer workouts and make them stick in our own training. And I think especially competitive recreational runners and like sub-elite guys, guys your age, Ben, coming out of college who want to make the next jump, it's I got to do everything that 10 Man Elite does on YouTube, or I got to do everything the fastest guy that I follow on Strava does. That got that person or group success. It doesn't mean it's what you need. Knowing yourself your strengths, your weaknesses, how you recover, how you improve. That's what's so important. And when we look at the most successful runners at every level that we've talked to on this program and that we work with as athletes, it isn't always sexy. Simplifying, keeping your eyes on your target shows up time and again in our episodes. So stay excited Stay motivated, stay healthy, and maybe a bit undercooked instead of overcooked. It's maybe the most common thing I see that leads to injury or burnout or just general distaste toward running. It comes from overcooking the training. So that's my number one. Awesome. I think that goes perfectly into my number two. Yeah, hit me. Which draws inspiration from a lot of different episodes. Great. I've listed four of them on my list. So episodes 98, 92, 63, and 64. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is Make It Your Running. Mm. Every distance runner, fictional and non-fictional, talks about the secret. Yeah. And we all know Quentin Cassidy's famous line, there is no secret. Yeah. So as a runner... So let's, let's pause yes. for one moment on that. For 
for those who have not read it, we've referenced the book several times on the show and yes. several different episodes. Quentin Cassidy is the lead character in the all-time classic Once a Runner. His coach slash training partner in the book, Bruce Denton, my favorite character, is maybe someone who provides a more realistic idea of what actually is the secret, which is just a lot of hard work and yes. consistency over time, right? That's what Ben is referring to with his Quentin Cassidy quote. Yeah. In order to take ownership of your running, there's a few things you need to identify. Mm -hmm. um, as we talked about two episodes ago, uh, finding a cycle that works for you. Yeah. Take a look at your schedule in your life. You need to be honest about your availability and time you can commit to the sport. Uh, and that translates to being realistic with your goals as well. Yeah. You need to be able to identify strengths and weaknesses. And with strengths, that doesn't just look like things you're good at, but things that make you feel confident. Mm -hmm. um, not, That's a good point, man. Yeah. Not every session has to have a perfect physical adaptation, mm -hmm. but if it creates more self-belief, I think it can be just as, if not more, beneficial. In regards to weaknesses, I probably should rename that to areas to improve on. Yeah. Um, there is a area every runner can improve on and identifying that is a great thing. We want to be more well-rounded athletes. It's great to have a skill set, but we want to keep putting tools in that tool belt. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you mentioned Strava and these YouTube videos and we kind of get information overload yeah. at times and like social media has done, it's created this world of comparison and everyone's looks flashier drew hunter is doing this should i be doing this no you should be doing whatever you the individual needs and fits your schedule your life and yourself as an athlete so don't let comparison rob you of becoming your best athlete well it's in part it's the famous uh, teddy roosevelt quote comparison is the thief of joy yes right and it steals the joy from our running. And then there's also a level of paralysis by overanalysis that comes when we're constantly breaking down what other people do and trying to fit it in. If we are consistently changing what we do with every workout that's coming up in two days based on what we see, we've stepped aside from the larger picture that you or maybe you and your coach or you and your team training partners have to help guide you. Stay true to that. If you see elements from other places that fit that, work them in. But don't just make it a hodgepodge and grab at this or that workout every week. That's when you start, you've overanalyzed, you've complicated rather than simplified. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Ben. I will continue on the... Um, undercooking line of thought and i will draw us back to an early set of episodes we did about marathon long runs and then many of the marathoners and coaches that we've talked to over time since then and just give my brief updated wisdom on marathon long runs awesome. i still very much believe in the value of long run workouts for marathons and also of using marathon pace work. But I've definitely refined when and how. I touched on this, I think, in one of the user, um, user listener question episodes. Uh, 
I don't use as much marathon pace work in my own training and in the athletes that we work with as maybe a few years ago, but I think we're much more specific with when and how it's used now. When is particularly in that period as you get closer to your marathon? That last specific block, maybe it's 8 to 12 weeks in the close before a marathon. It's just not something that four months out we're doing much of in, in the training at this point. And to emphasize that, those are the times when you can work on other skills and hopefully you're raising the entire, like we're raising the level of the water and with it, all boats rise with the tide. And so we're trying to elevate essentially our ceiling on what's our capability because our fitness is getting better and better. Our paces at 10K or 15K or half marathon are getting better. Our high-end speed is getting better. And so then in that last block, you are better able to handle that marathon-paced work because it's fractionally just easier as a fraction of what your highest ability is. And then we work on creating a goal based on what you can do in those other events and using this now in practice so that you get used to the feel, that you get confident with it, and you can work on fueling at those paces. Also, I don't see the evidence. I'm not saying it's bad, but I, I don't think it's the end-all be-all to say I can do a 14, 16, 18 miler at marathon pace. That proves to me you can run 14, 16, or 18 miles at marathon pace, but yeah, that's what you should be able to do if it's a legitimate goal. And so working on it in chunks can be valuable, but how much energy that takes out of you to do an 18 miler at marathon pace, it might be more than it's worth. And we see a lot of pros do it. Just remember, for them, marathon pace can be fast, right? It, right. it can be a very challenging pace. And also many of them are at altitude, and that has a fundamentally different effect on your effort levels as opposed to what we're doing at, at sea level close to it or even what they do when they come down to sea level to race. So it's another place where don't just do it because an elite is doing it. But in that specific period, closer to the race is the time to work on marathon pace. We're just not doing as much of it earlier on or in as big chunks maybe as we used to. We're probably working at faster or slower paces. And then the other piece is, the reason I said don't overcook it here again, is don't make every weekend a long run workout if you're trying to do a lot of other workouts, it's just so taxing on your body. And so what I've really come to value, and we see a lot of the folks that we've talked to incorporate this in their training as well, is uh, I'm just going to give a couple examples of maybe marathon uh, long run workouts folks do. Folks may do something with some progression in it, or folks may do something with chunks of like uh, threshold work in it or fartlek type work. What you may want to consider is if you're doing those very consistently, maybe they need to be every other or every third or every fourth long run. And doing three or four or five of them in the course of your build up to a marathon can be really, really effective. But what I value in between and I value actually as much or more is how many times am I running two to two and a half hours as a long run? And I'm not just jogging, but I'm also not hammering. It's just quality, steady effort, 
uh, comfortable. It might naturally pick up a little bit over time. And then I can do the progressions and I can do the threshold type work to buttress this. Uh, but I just think that consistent work that's, you know, maybe it's at like, uh, let's say you're trying to run six minutes a mile for a marathon competitive at in the mid to upper two thirties. How many times are you running two to two and a half hours at like seven minute pace, a minute slower than that? Those are really good workouts. They're not as taxing. You can get really comfortable with what it feels like to be on your feet for almost the length of time of the marathon itself without pushing yourself over the edge. And, and you have time then in between to do the other work that you need to do. You're not so exhausted from it that you need always like five or six days to recover from your long run. So don't overcook that too it is another piece of the evolution of how we are doing long runs for marathon training at this point. There's still plenty of good examples that you can go back to in that early set of episodes we did like three years ago now. But take those examples and then use them as just a few of the long runs that you're doing over the, the bulk of what it's really about, which is how many times can I go out and put in good long runs? It adds up over time. Just going 20 miles once is not what makes you a marathon racer. You might finish the marathon, but if you want to get better and you want to start racing it, it's about that adding up all those long runs and seeing what the body of work looks like. Benny, what's your third, bud? Did you ever see that old cartoon, the Powder Puff Girls? Yeah, oh yeah. In the intro to that, yeah, the professor puts all the ingredients into this cauldron to make the Powder Puff Girls. Okay. It was sugar, spice, everything nice, and then chemical X. Oh. Well, I'm gonna tell you what the sugar, spice, and everything nice is. Okay. To be a successful distance runner. Are you going to tell me what the chemical X is? I don't believe in chemical X. Oh, okay. That's that's made up. Okay, good. Go ahead. So the person who exemplifies this, we got to interview in episode 25. Yeah. A run-in alum, Mm -hmm. Ryan Root. Yeah. So to reintroduce Ryan to those who may not have listened to that episode, Ryan Root is from Illinois. He ran for North Central College, uh, which is a division three school. Very successful division three school yeah ryan had some modest personal bests uh collegiately speaking he was a 14 35k guy a 32 flat 10k guy and a 903 steeplechaser yeah but the first ingredient i want to talk about is ryan's self-belief with times like that he definitely contributed to his team he was even all american once on the track but there were no shoe sponsors or teams knocking at his door telling him you're the next big thing. You need to keep pursuing this. But Ryan knew that he could make it at the next level. Uh, He packed his car up and moved to Greenville, South Carolina to join a team just with the goal of making the marathon trials. We've since seen him succeed in that. And he's moved to Colorado to train with another group. Uh, to challenge himself more and to train at altitude because the fire inside of him keeps telling him that, hey, you can do this. You can keep improving. And I think that self-belief is what took a 1430 guy and made him run 215.22 at the marathon project last year. Yeah. There's no 
there's a certain level of talent Ryan had. You don't run 1430 by just trying hard. Yeah. yeah. But that 215 is because that talent tried really hard and believed in it. And the second ingredient or characteristic that Ryan shows is his consistency. We've talked about this in many different ways on the show. Uh, But what I think is so impressive is up until he just recently had surgery, Ryan went 1,585 days without missing a run. Now, rest is important and not everyone can do that. But I think that goes with the self-belief and the commitment he made to the sport is that he was willing to do that. That consistency is more of a deeper rooted desire to leave to not leave any stone unturned. I will echo that one and say that consistency, it's been harped on here. It is the number one most important thing. If you want to get better, it's consistency. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean running every day. No. And, you know, I, I'm a consistent person who doesn't take many days off, but I don't go anywhere near the length that, of, of what Ryan did. I think that recovery is really important as well. Uh, but... It's just an example Ben provides of his commitment to that consistency. And I want to say he averaged over 10 miles a day for that time period. Man, that's, yeah, incredible. Yeah, so consistency and self-belief, the Ryan Root story. That is, that's the recipe. There's a ton of truth to that. I love that. My third one, and this really is maybe my big one here. That is fatigue is the enemy. That is what in running we are trying to fight. In our interview with Coach Richie Hansen of Roots Running, Ryan's coach, uh, Frank's coach, uh, this was his specific focus. I lobbed him a a softball on uh, what leads to breakdown in marathoning. And he said, it's fatigue. Yeah, it's spot on. Whether it's the neuromuscular fatigue, uh, it's the energy system fatigue. When I went back through all the episodes prepping for this, I realized that this is a theme across interviews that otherwise may not be necessarily so evidently connected. We did the long run episode with David Roach, who was fantastic. He looked at it from a nutrition perspective of how we're fueling our long runs. We just had Phil Gregory on and talked about some strength training ideas to go with staying healthy that carry over into fighting fatigue. Uh, My conversation with Cosmo about hitting the wall and how we avoid that in the episode on hitting the wall and going to the well. It is a a connection across all of these interviews and all these conversations. And, you know, to simplify, fatigue is that point where what was once a manageable effort becomes more challenging and eventually leads to us slowing down and we can't maintain that effort anymore. And so the question is, how do we avoid that? And from all these different sources, what I'm drawn back to is the necessity and focusing on what is specific to developing fatigue resistance in your chosen event. If you're going to be a marathoner, as an example, we just talked about, let's say you want to run a a marathon that's under three hours, going to two and a half hours on runs occasionally at least, and two hours plus consistently is going to help you resist that fatigue of the breakdown late in a race. 
if you're going into uncharted waters, stuff's going to happen to your body at 24, 25, 26 miles. If you've only gone 15, 16, 17, you're not ready for that. If you're training for a 5K, handling that high-level red line pace, it doesn't mean you have to run at 5K pace all the time in 5K training. That can be a valuable tool. I think I ran at it maybe once or twice in the lead up to that 5K I did at the end of the summer that I was pleased with how I ran, but I worked on the skills that helped resist fatigue. For example, the power necessary to run at faster levels. Think about what those things are for your event and try to develop those specific variables that will help you resist fatigue. As we transition to the second part of this episode, we're going to help give you more ideas for that, places that you can now tangibly add in. Some of these we've talked about before. We're going to get into more detail here with actual workouts that we decided in providing these, we want to be very versatile here. You're training for anything from a 5k to a marathon. These can work. They can be tinkered with a little bit. And these are our favorites. These are the ones that over the 100 miles of this show we've talked about before. We've had interviews with people who said they were their favorites. We're using them with our athletes. You can use them right here, right now. Ben, what are we going to start with? So we're going to go with my go-to workout. This is a fartlek. Okay, fartlek speed play. We did a whole episode on it, and some of it was really advanced stuff. But we have kind of simplified for you. I think you're going to give one, and I'm going to give one as well. So you're actually getting two for the price of one on fartlek. So go ahead. All right, we're going to keep it very simple. And we're going to do ten times, one minute hard, one minute easy. Okay. This is applicable at all skill levels and fitness levels. Mm. There's two variables we can change the intensity of the on Mm -hmm. as well as the intensity of the off pace i'm glad you brought that up that's the second one's critical yes and it just depends on what you're training for where you're at in your build-up or cycle personally i love doing this when i don't know what fitness i'm in or if i'm coming back into running rather than get on the track and think there's a specific number it teaches you to listen to your body And especially after a break or some time off, uh, it can be enticing to see, can I still hit these numbers? But you should just kind of listen to your body, see what pace feels right. Yeah. And then you can kind of gauge where you're at when you look at the data afterwards. Yeah, so it becomes an effort measure rather than being specifically tied to one number that you have to hit. Right. Warm up first, cool down after, of course, but really just 20 minutes. Now, this is something that maybe it's an hour. Maybe you warm up for 20. Uh, That might include a few strides or some drills. You do this for 20, you cool down for 20. You sandwich some great work into an hour. As Ben said, you can tinker with it. Maybe you're more of a 5K person trying to work on some higher end speed. You haven't been in a faster block. Make those ons faster and the offs easier. You could make those offs more steady. And this looks more like a threshold type run. So I'm going to take that and give my favorite that was mentioned in the last episode. I had talked about it more before, but that is another 20 minute fartlek, which is the Monaghetti fartlek. It is two times 90 seconds on, 90 seconds off, four times 60, 60, four times 30, 30, four times 15, 15. 
named for Steve Monaghetti, incredibly successful Australian distance runner at every distance from 5,000 meters to a marathon, who was one of the best in the world at a time when the Australians in the uh, 90s, then into the early 2000s, this was true as well, but Monaghetti was in the late 80s and 90s, one of the best. And at that time, the Australians were really the one culture challenging the East African runners on a consistent basis across distances. This was a uh, workout that he and his coach made up to fit his schedule when he needed something condensed uh, that he could get in in 20 minutes of hard work. He did this once a week, almost year round for almost the entirety of his career. And he just tinkered with the paces. And so what I love to do in using this for uh, our marathoners and even using it myself is making sure those offs are really like a float. Running the offs at close to your goal marathon pace or effort. And then the ons are just surges. How fast can I run them while holding that float? But at times in different cycles... He just went hard easy, like Ben described in his one-on-one off. These cycles are so short as it cuts down that it becomes manageable to hold, but it gets hard. 14, 16, 18 minutes in, you've really worked. It's such a great threshold effort. You could do things like extend it if you're more marathon-based. Just make it four of each time cycle. Do four 90s at the beginning. Now we have a little longer workout. But I also like keeping it at just 20 minutes, even for a marathoner, because it provides a break from all the really big, long, chunky workouts that you're doing. It's a bang for your buck. You mentioned, I love that you talked about going to your one-on-one off when you're first getting back into it. This is often the first workout I do when I've gone through, maybe it's a cycle of hills or a big base of mileage, and I just kind of want to test and see where I am. I tend to do this once each quarter of the year also and just uh, check in with how I feel and what kind of fitness I'm in. But what I do is I always do it in different locations. So I'm not just comparing how does this time compare to last time. I get a general idea of, okay, my average is close to what it was or faster, but I like to just change the terrain a little bit. Maybe it's flatter, maybe it's hillier. But varying the venue, I can just enjoy the workout that I'm in and not get stuck in the comparison as the thief of joy compared to where I was. Because we as runners always think about ourselves at two spots in our careers, where we are today and where we were at our best. Yes. And I can't be caught up in where I was at my best. I got to be better tomorrow than I am today. So I do have a question for you in your experience with doing that fartlet. Yes. The pace for those 90 seconds mm-hmm. and the pace for the 15 seconds. Yep. Was there much discrepancy there? Because I assume fatigue is occurring throughout that. Yes. So if I was really setting this up to um, do more than just surge, if I wanted to try to hit paces, I would actually try to cut down throughout okay. and start maybe at like half marathon pace and then go down to like 10K for the 60s, 5K for the 30 as hard as I can for the 15s. And then in between are the like marathon pace efforts for floating on the 15s though. 
generally what I always do there is just go as hard as I can and then just jog because trying to dial back to float only for 15 seconds is really hard. So I don't get caught up in that. Um, By the time the gas is fully let up, you're going. Yeah, it's time to go again. Exactly. So that's the key, though. It's really a great way to think about what floating really is, to use the analogy you got into there. It's about releasing the gas, not hitting the brake. Mm. And so the 30s, the 15s can become a good place to really feel what that's like, because I know if I hit the, the brake, that makes it harder to get restarted. Just coast. Just roll on. Some folks will call this float into the next one yeah yes workout number two maybe three we gave two there whatever category two absolutely yeah we're getting off our feet okay the second thing you can start doing today regardless of event or skill is working on your posterior chain Mm -hmm. this is everything from the lower back down basically to your calves Uh, we want to strengthen those hips glutes stabilizer muscles Uh, This lowers the risk of injury. It makes you a more powerful and efficient runner. And it's probably the most neglected area of work in distance running. Yeah. It's easy to just want to go run and not do the other stuff. To to not focus on the little things like strides, like strength work. But they're really, really valuable. So a great example of this we have is if you go on our um, YouTube page, Seconds Flat by Run In, we have a hip and core uh, strengthening and mobility video that has these exercises you can use immediately. It's a fantastic resource. The very famous series is the Myrtle Routine, which you can easily find on YouTube. You can just Google it also and get it in a PDF format, basic body weight exercises that everyone can do. Uh, so that's great. What's our third category, Ben? Oh, well, you know this one. I do. It's your summer of hills. It is hills, baby. It's, it's got to no be longer hills. summer. Yeah. But, but it's hills year round. It's hills year round. It always works. You want to give an example of a hill workout that you really like? Absolutely. Uh, we had a 200 meter hill uh, at my college. It was kind of a loose dirt, good footing hill. And we would do four sets of five by 200. Yeah. And we would actually go kind of easy on the ups. Um, It'd be more like a threshold effort rather than anything intense. But we would keep that effort coming down. So essentially we were doing two Ks with a hill in it. And we used it as aerobic work. Yeah. Um, Actually pressing that harder up the hill was less pounding than like doing the effort on flat ground. And then also worked on our mechanics, driving the knee, pumping the arm, just instilled good habits in us. I, I love it. I will give uh, I'll give two different examples then that I really love to go with your example for our third category hills. One is the very basic eight to ten second hill sprint all out. I love this for really maximum speed development for that true power development to increase your high end talked about this on the trip back from Indy with some of our guys who were there running the half marathon, who that's their limiting factor is just the high end speed. What can we do to improve it right now is start working on some more hill sprints, working to eight to 10 times of eight to 10 seconds all out uphill on a good grade, but not too steep. We want to be able to run fast. 
somewhere between 90 seconds and three minutes of really easy jogging in between to get totally recovered. And you can just throw that into the middle of an easy run and start doing that once every week or two. Uh, you marry that with some strides, and that's the really the way to work on that neuromuscular high-end stuff. And then another of our favorites would be a combination of some sort of maybe threshold work and hills. It could be anything from the three-minute intervals at somewhere between 8 and 15k pace, uh, so slightly faster than uh, your threshold running. Three-minute intervals at those, plus some hills afterward. Maybe, for example, 7 by 3 minutes plus 7 by 30 second hill. Uh, faster hills than than the the three minute pace six by four minutes plus six by 40 seconds on the hill something like that uh, you know those are all great combinations or we could go to one that's an, an old favorite of mine from cross-country training two by two miles tempo work uh, so we would say maybe like half marathon pace two by two miles with a couple minutes easy in between depending on what your pace is. So let's say that two by two miles is taking you like 10, 12, 14 minutes. Yeah, a couple minute jog in between is, is great. If it's taking you a little longer, you might want a little more jog and then go hit some hills afterward or put a small set of hills in between. Do your two miles, then do four hills. Do your two miles, do four hills. I love that constitution of working on two different skills in a, in a combination workout. Benjamin, before we go and get prepared for our Thanksgiving feast and mile 101, I want to finish with two quick things. One is the new Seconds Flat Nike AeroSwift singlets are in. Ooh, buddy. Looking fresh and white with like a gold and rust color to it. And it's got the new uh, podcast logo on it. So if you're interested... Of course, in-store at Run-In in Greenville on Washington Street by Cleveland Park. We have sent Noah Lyles and Gerald Moth <laughs> theirs. <laughs> and I'm sure they will be racing in them soon. Or you can contact us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. I'll send one out to you. They fit a little short, right? That yes. AeroSwift cut is short. So maybe if you're normally a small, you might need a medium. But you could always try one on in the store or purchase it from us via email, uh, both men's and women's. There's not a ton left. So contact us if you would like to get a singlet to represent. We would love to send one out to you. And then the last thing on what I may be most thankful for in running and what is so wonderful about 100 miles of this show is on the last episode... We mentioned some of our friends, some local runners who completed marathons at the Sphinx uh, Run Fest. And it was just a, a fantastic day and great to, to give those guys their kudos. And I, little did I know that uh, the next day after we recorded that, I got a handwritten letter from one of the people that we mentioned about what the sport has meant, what the training has meant, the advice that we've given here through the show. That's what's beautiful. That's awesome. Never forget how much we can impact each other positively through running. And uh, as much as we're happy to give you advice that maybe makes you a better, faster runner, take it, share it with the next person, see what impact you can have on one another, make somebody's day by going out and running some miles together, share the hard miles, and then share the good times. 
because that was to me just one more reminder of why we're doing this and why we're going to keep going on from mile 101 and on from here. So I uh, hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving. We look forward to seeing you next time on mile 101 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Bye.